When I first time I was confronted really by this passage was at the age of 30 when I went to Asbury Theological Seminary in 1981. Now, since I had been 13 years old, I grew up in Methodist churches, being there almost every Sunday, sometimes on Sunday nights, listening to the Word of God preach. And yet, it was, I was really 30 years old before I heard Methodists really expound and enlighten, at least to, to where I could understand it and hear it, this passage. I'm not going to say a preacher never preached on it and never talked about Christian perfection, but I don't remember it. If you grew up in what I call normal United Methodist churches, you might not have heard it either. Because it's not a topic that is often spoken about at churches. And it's not a meaning that is easily grasped. And yet it has to do with the second question that Asbury asked those coming forward to become preachers. The first one was the one we talked about last week, have you faith in Christ? He talked about the beginning point of the Christian experience, justification, if you will. The idea of pardon and relationship with God being stored. And then he looked him in the eye, I'm sure, with those piercing kind of eyes that probably only this guy had at that point in time. And he said, are you going on to perfection? Are you going on to perfection? That is the work of sanctification. Not just the beginning of the sanctifying work when one believes, but all the way until the work of sanctification is completed and we call ourselves entirely sanctified or we call ourselves holy people or perhaps we say we are, have been entirely sanctified. All those three terms really mean the same thing. But Wesley talked about them in various stages as he, as he explained how the process of sanctification is really the normal process for salvation. The normal process for salvation for those who are seeking to follow Jesus. So we're going to start off with a quiz. The quiz is this. Don't be embarrassed. Don't feel prideful. However... If you know today what Christian perfection is, if you could give a five-minute dissertation that would explain Christian perfection, raise your hand. Now, don't be embarrassed. Now, some of you can, I'm sure. If you can, raise your hand. Are you afraid? I'm going to call on you to do so. I got one back there who will admit it tentatively, but she, at least she raised her hand. There's another one. Yeah, come on. I know there's some of you. I would never ask you if you were doing it. I, would, I wouldn't do that to you, Charles. Of course, if you understand and you know what it means, then you need to be doing it, right? And I know you know that. I know you know that. I know you know that. But I know a lot of people don't fully understand it. And I know it's hard to understand. And I know it's hard for a preacher to understand because people don't really want to hear it. Because it's just too hard. And we don't live in a hard culture, do we? I'm going to come back to that point, but before I do, let's talk about this. This calling is really the expression of the, how, how Jesus was talking when he said, we must die to ourselves. He who wants to save his life must lose it. That's where salvation begins. It is, a, however, also an invitation to freedom. 
It's not just a dying to self. It's an invitation to freedom to be all the person that God designed you to be. You see, in God's great design, he was not satisfied just with you going to heaven. That thought was never in his mind when you were saved. But I do believe that that's the first, second, tenth, twentieth, and thirtieth thought of most people on this earth is when they get saved, they just want to be sure they've got a firm grip on going to heaven. And that's understandable, but that needs to become a sad expression of the Christian faith, not the main one. You remember back in the 80s in evangelism explosion, I know Gary knows that, that phrase, E.E., when you went and knocked on people's doors, when they answered, you asked them the question, if you died tonight, do you know where you're going? Do you know you'd be with God? A better question might, might be, perhaps, if you knocked on the door and you said, are you on an active trajectory to be as close to God as you possibly could be? You see the difference? Because there's so many people who tell me, well, I'm saved, and I look at their life, and I go, Really? In fact, I don't meet many people who don't know God or who don't give some assent to God. Now, they may not like the Christian church, and they may not be too crazy about Jesus, but they believe in God, so they kind of think they've got it done. They've checked that box. They can go on with their life. Nothing is farther from the truth than that. In fact, that's when your soul is in danger. Now, I am not talking about fearful about your salvation. I'm not. In fact, I had a pastor come in at the post office when I was called to go into ministry in the Methodist church. And he came in and he said, why are you going into ministry in the Methodist church? And he looked at me like, you're crazy doctrine. You know, you, you, you feel like every time you pass a tr truck and you didn't whistle something well, you, you fall off the truck and you go to hell. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, that's what you Methodists believe. You believe in falling from grace. And I said, well, I've seen a lot of trucks pass by, but I never thought I was going to hell after they went by. Something to that effect. And I said, Methodists don't believe that, at least not the ones I know. I'm as secure in my faith as you are. I have no fear in God. There, we sing that song so often. There's no fear in God. There's no fear in God when you are in a living, active relationship with him. No fear. Because God is going to forgive me as I stumble and fall. God is going to forgive me when I make a mistake. God is going to forgive me when I don't get it right because I don't yet understand how to get it right. God is going to forgive me when I just lose control of myself with my emotions. God is going to forgive me for all of that. And I'm still going to heaven. I don't have to dwell on it. I'm going to heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm going to heaven. And I believe most of you are too. But I also believe in the process of believing you're going to heaven. You may not be realizing all that God has intended for you. And what a shame is that? What, which example are you going to take? You want to pick on the youth? You know, what if the youth just remained youth forever? Yeah, you like that. You like it. Sounds good, huh? Yeah, well, your parents would not agree with that, you know. Living in the back room, 45 and oh, so going to work three times a week when you needed to. No, it's not going to work out for you. But I, I get it. It's tempting to stay where you are because as you get a little older as a youth, you think you yearn for freedom and control of your life, but you also start having enough sense 
to realize that there's a lot of stuff going to go on that's going to make you responsible for it. It's kind of safer to let mom and dad worry about that. And that's what we ask you when you get confirmed. Are you ready to accept your own salvation as much as you can as a 12 and 13-year-old? That doesn't mean you have to have all the answers, but it means you have to know as a 12 and 13-year-old can know and as one can know that you're ready to follow Jesus to the best of your ability. But by the time you're 17, ready to graduate from high school, what you knew at 13 and what you know now is a world apart. Or you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, if your faith hasn't grown any in between those times, you got stuck. And if you're 70 and your faith hasn't grown in the last 20 years, you're stuck. If you're too old now to tell God yes, you're stuck. If you're too old now... To really understand that God called you to something much bigger than just going to heaven. God called you to joy. God called you to peace. God called you to service where you give yourself away and you love it. That's what God wants for you. God wants more for you. God has this dream in his eye. He desires to see you become all that you can be. Not just going to heaven. Now don't get me wrong. There's something special about going to heaven. Now, imagine that's not even the icing on the cake. That's just a little sugar in the first mixture. It hadn't even been cooked yet. You're just getting started as you get heaven, as you get a hold of the concept of believing in Jesus. This calling, though it's impossible, and though many people will think you are arrogant for even talking about it, some people will think anyone that claimed that they were entirely sanctified would be arrogant. In fact, John Wesley himself never claimed it, for all we know. There's one place in his letters where he got right up against saying he was entirely sanctified, but he didn't do it quite. But he's afraid that would make someone think he's being prideful. <laughs> prideful is the opposite of being entirely sanctified. It's the opposite. So anytime you see an arrogant Christian about their faith, you'll know that they're not really acting in a loving Christian way. They're really just being arrogant about their faith. You'll meet those people sometimes, and it's an unpleasant experience at times. Now, you'll forgive them because, after all, you're a Christian, and they'll forgive you for not believing whatever it is they're trying to sell you, but don't worry about it. It's okay. It'll all work out. This, this is the normal trajectory for Christian discipleship. Now, you think about your normal trajectory when you're young. You have fewer material possessions. You're new in maybe a, a married relationship or you're new at being adult and having a decent job. Normal trajectory for you. That's how you grow up. You get older, and then at some point you may find someone who you think you can live your life with and who will also live their life with you. We call that getting married. At least we used to in the old days. And quite frankly, I still do. Getting, being with someone all the time and being together with someone all the time and being joined with someone all the time and being joined in the flesh as well as in the spirit and the soul is about getting married. That's what the church has taught for more than 2,000 years and even before. Don't be deceived by what the culture may tell you. Don't be lured into behaviors that are lower than what you live. Trust God. Believe his word. And your life will be better for it. I promise you. I promise you. Stay here when you graduate and get married, and I'll prove it to you. I'll be from the back row, or I may be in your Sunday school class, but I'll prove it to you. As the years go by, if you don't 
wait too long to get married. Not rushing you. Somebody else will teach you. I trust that. It's the same trajectory, though, for life for the rest of us. Get married, find a career, make more money, then get a better job, make more money, then have kids, you know, send them to school, then send them to the best of schools. Life has a certain trajectory that, you, that we expect. So my question for you this morning is, what trajectory are you expecting for your spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you expecting it to be like this? And then you die? It's like this when you got saved. It's like this when you needed Jesus. It's like this when you were lonely and hurting. It's like this when you lost your job. But really, it always comes back down to that base, which is like the Dow Jones average. If it stays the same all the time, aren't we all disappointed? If your trajectory of how mature your faith is is not growing, then I'm disappointed for you. Recently, I was disappointed in myself. Short topic. Because as I was getting ready to preach this sermon, I was sitting in my chair a couple of days ago thinking about it. I realized I'd done it again. I let my emotions get a hold of me. And there was a certain human being in my vision. And that person had maneuvered me into the place that I have thought I would not go with anyone to the place where, in the name of Jesus, I wanted to administer authority. <laughs> and 24 hours later, I was thinking, I need to pray for that fellow instead of being angry at him. Yeah, that's kind of the way I felt too. I didn't really want to pray for him, but I really didn't have a choice, so I did. And I have been since. Because, you see, I don't get to allow myself to follow my emotions. I get to have them, but in the name of Jesus, I need to be bigger than they are. And if I lose control of that for an hour or a day, then I need to discover it in prayer two days later, and I need to do something about it. And I've got another problem in that regard that's not surrounded by a lot of emotion, but surrounded by a lack of my involvement in trying to renew an old relationship that's been poisoned. And I need to do something about that too. And I shall. Because that's what Christians do if they are going on to perfection. Now, if they're just content with going to heaven, well, I guess you can think you can go ahead and do what you want to do, but I'm coming back to that. Give me a moment. Carolyn said in her book, in those opening pages, while this seems impossible to a lot of people, Wesley didn't believe it was impossible at all, but he, did never, he never meant for Christian perfection to be perfect at everything. He never meant that being entirely sanctified meant that you would have all the right answers, that your behaviors would be perfect every moment of every day, every thought in your head. He never meant that you would never make a mistake. He never meant, she says later on, that you would never offend anyone. Rather, that being perfect in your heart, he was referring to a, the state of one's heart. Christian perfection is about that. Is your heart really in tune with God? Just like the scripture said in Matthew, you know, where you're loving God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. As simple as that, 
you have a complete definition, really, for sanctification. That takes a while to understand that. Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And I'm going to read that to you just so you haven't forgotten it. Because you're always rushed to the, at weddings to the later verses. So if you can pull up 1 Corinthians 13, 1 for me on the screen. Remember these words? If they sound so poetic and innocent at first. But get ready for it because we're going to read some of this again next week. But the first verse says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, which is saying I become like the heathen. That's the people who had the noisy gongs and the clanging cymbals when they gathered for worship. Now, think about that. That's how big love is. It's the kind of perfection that God craves for every one of his children, for every one of them to have the right state of their heart. And if your heart is not right, your behaviors won't be right. Now, this doesn't mean you go about trying to behave your way into a better heart. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Christians sometimes wear themselves out trying hard to be Christians. They need to try to spend more time being one with God and letting the Spirit, through the power of grace, change your heart and your mind. That's the only way you're going to change. Those of you who I know, you're good people, but you're not all that good. And even when you're trying hard with behaviors, you, you, you mess up from time to time and pretty often. Some of the time, which would be overcome if your heart were right. Because you wouldn't even be thinking about those things that are bringing you down. You see the difference? It's the trajectory of your whole life. Growing closer and closer to Christ. So that that idea of being with Christ forever is realized. Not through your actions but through faith by grace, because that's the way we're saved, by faith through grace. Good, I've got time today. I love to have time on my side. After that, she goes on to talk about how God wants you to be perfect in love. And she gives some examples of it. I'm going to hit these quickly because we're coming back to some of that in other words next week. Where she says, this kind of perfection that God craves for us to be made perfect in love, is to be something more. That's what God wants for you, to be something more than you are right now, tomorrow, next week, next year, next decade. God wants to stop striving for a better you and just be more inside. Your value is more expressed by the heart and its condition and your mind and its condition than it is by the things you've done. If your heart is right, there won't be any stopping you from doing plenty of things, but that's not where love is. Secondly, she said she being perfect in love means to go with God. Listen to these words to express that. To go with God by continually seeking a deeper, richer, more abundant life in Christ. By continually seeking a deeper, richer, more abundant life with Christ. Thirdly, she says it's done by the Spirit's power. It's a gift of grace to be received, which I've already mentioned, so I'm going on. It means submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what it means to. You can never get there. You can't be perfect in love unless you submit to the Holy Spirit by opening your heart and mind to listen to God. This is attainable. It's a rightful inheritance for every one of those claiming Christ as Lord in their life. Read Matthew 5.48. They're going to throw it up on the screen. It's so short, I'll just quote it to you. Be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus said. Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48. So if you think the Scripture doesn't talk about Christian perfection, you're not reading all the Scripture. It talks about some other things more because other people are at other places more often than this in the early church. Now, the real challenge we might ask ourselves is where? Why is this so hard to do? Let me tell you why. Especially now, I think it's hard to do and tricky for Christians, although I think it always has been. In our culture, in our own experience in life, as I've already talked about, life is seen on a trajectory already. It is a mindset that is so American. We want to achieve everything quickly. We want to have everything easily. We want to be able to get it when we want it the way we want it. And that's true of faith so much of many Americans today. And I'm not saying it's true of you, but many Americans want their faith in the same way. In other words, they want to have Christianity but on their own terms. When they read something difficult in Scripture, they would like to ignore it or quote somebody who's written a book about it that says it really means something else. That's obviously not what it means in the pages of the Scripture. They could be talking about marriage. They could be talking about sin. They could be talking about salvation without the need to be entirely sanctified. They could be showing their lack of the understanding of the Scriptures in any of those ways. And we would love it if it makes it easy. Think about it. How hard is it to be saved? I say it's like falling off a log. In fact, I tell children that and youth that all the time. They say, well, it's so hard to be a Christian. I said, really, it's not. All you have to do is have faith in Christ and you will be saved. Do you want to have faith in Christ for the rest of your life, starting right now? And they'll usually go, well, yeah. Okay, then. Guess what? What? You just got saved. Right that moment in heaven, God's rejoicing. Wow, they said that was easy. Yeah, but there's a second page in the Bible. Now that you have faith, you have to grow in that faith. And that's not going to be so easy. It's the same way with the way we live life. A lot of young adults today want to have the benefits of being 60. One of the ways to get them is to be back home with mom and dad. You say, you shouldn't say that out loud. Well, one of my children is here. I want them to hear it. You know, someday I want to move in with them, not the other way around. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, but the idea of having faith that is easy can mean that if we're not careful. It can mean that when we're 28 and we still want to act like we're 16. And there's nothing, as I've said before, so upsetting than to see a 16-year-old and a 28-year-old body. Just saying, it's a bad look. It's a bad look. It's a bad look to see a 70-year-old Christian 
in the body of a 25-year-old Christian, too. Don't be confused. There are many of them out there who never grasped or never offered the opportunity to understand what it means to be sanctified. Now, something that, because when you say it, just think how hard it is to hear. Think of how much you want to squirm today. Think of how much you want me to stop preaching about this topic. But let me ask you this. What if, I'm going to ask you a few of these, what if God wants to tell us something we don't like? What if God wants to tell us something it takes a lifetime to achieve? We can't imagine that kind of a concept. We can't imagine waiting five years for something to be achieved. What if God wants you to do something difficult in order to become more than you are? What if God wants something for you that's more than just what we want? I'm happy just going to heaven, God. But what if God wants to show us the pathway to holiness? And what if there is no other way to really continue to be in a relationship with God than through holiness? And you say, what are you saying? I'm saying justification, pardon, is not enough forever. Yeah, I know what Brother Jackson said a couple of weeks ago, and I understand exactly what he's talking about. He understands what I'm talking about. But if you don't grow up in Christ, what Wesley said was if you try to stand still in your Christian walk, it's kind of like, I would say it's like sitting on a seesaw that's constantly going up and down. And the older you get, the faster it goes up and down. And we want to stay in the center and stay balanced. We don't want to get too religious, too political, or anything else that's too much of one thing or the other. But the reality is, you just can't sit in the middle of that seesaw forever. You just can't sit there on your faith either in the same way. Because you'll either start sliding toward Christ, or you'll start sliding away. That's true for being a teenager. You know, as a child, you had a certain kind of obedience to your parents. And as you got older as a child, when you started getting... 10, 11, and 12, you start to think, well, I don't think my parents really knew everything like I used to think. I mean, they make mistakes too, so I don't know if they were really right about this, so you'll try something. And, and you'll also think when you're about 11 or 12, you're really not going to be any smarter, so you'll sometimes express that to your parents. That's usually a very poor decision, now, by the way, but it happens. Sometimes if you think that's bad, you ought to see a 14-year-old. But sometimes when they, you turn 16 or 17, sometimes sooner, some of you begin to realize that your parents were even more wise than you thought. You would have transcended to another place because you didn't sit still in your relationship with your parents, and they didn't sit still in their relationship with you. It's your responsibility, parents, to keep a relationship that's alive with your teenagers as much as it is theirs. You can't treat them when they're 16 like they're 7. And you can't treat them like they're 16 when they're 19. You need to treat them the age they are. You need to help them grow up into Christ. And the best way you can do that is by you yourself displaying before them the life of a person who is on the road to being entirely sanctified, who is taking sanctifying grace literally at the Word of God. And it's all about our hearts.
Will God's will be done for us or will our will be done? Is the trajectory of our life toward perfection, selfless love, or is it toward self, selfish love, selfish work, selfish relationships? Which is it for you today? Where are you headed? Now, what we're going to do today, we're going to do something a little different. Because I'm really asking you today, are you, one question, are you content to be where you are right now in your relationship with God? Are you content to just let it play out, get your ticket to heaven, and go on in, hoping that you have enough, that you don't have to go closer to God in the next few days, the next few weeks, the next few years? Or are you going to seek Christ until Christ is your everything, regardless of your age? Now, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar and pray in your seats. I'm going to invite David to play something on the piano. I'm not inviting the whole orchestra to play. I want it quiet. I'm not inviting singing. And David says, well, I didn't really prepare anything to play. I'm confident the Spirit will help you make it up, David. I really meant to tell you beforehand, but I, I trust your abilities, so... You're going to hear a little music, very soft music, and we're going to have a long time of prayer. During that prayer, if you find that you've never really trusted Christ and you want to trust Christ, when we're through praying, then all you have to do is come forward as we sing the final song. During that prayer, if you figure out that you've gotten stuck and you're not really moving on and getting closer to Christ, that you've kind of been on dead center for a few years or a few months now, you really haven't experienced anything new in Christ, then you come to this chance well and ask God to fill you with a renewed sense of his grace because it's all about his grace gift you don't have to come to that chance around and pray but now I know how long it is when we start praying some people say think man we prayed a long time in 60 seconds this is not going to be a 60 second time of examination it's going to be till the spirit tells me that we're ready to move forward will you come will you sit will you pray Will you really examine your life? I give you to Christ. I give you to the Spirit. It's between you and them.